Well this morning we're going to be looking in Matthew's Gospel. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through to verse 12, the visit of the Magi. Let's all stand to hear God's word. Matthew 2, verse 1 to verse 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi arrived from the east into Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said to them, Go, search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented them gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. God bless his word to us as we consider that just in a moment. Please be seated. Let's come to God in prayer before we consider his word. Father in heaven, our Lord and our God, we thank you again for your word in our lives. Particularly at this time of the year when we can celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. And again, we pray that you will open it to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we will learn and grow and mature, and as a result of your word in our lives, be able to more meaningfully worship you, as we should worship you, as our Lord and our God. And I pray that you will open my mouth to speak your word for your glory this morning. Amen. So as uh, Christmas approaches, we're looking this morning at Matthew's Gospel and we come to the visit of the the Magi. And here in Matthew chapter 2, the author gives his evidence, uh, first of all, of the fact that Jesus had the right to the throne of David, um, fulfilling the promise, as we saw last week, given to David. There are some very specific promises in the Old Testament given to Abraham, David and prophets and this particular one here we see that Jesus would be king he was far more than just a king obviously but one particular promise given to David that he was king but in this passage we also find that the three basic responses that people have and had towards Jesus they certainly had these three responses when he was on earth And the three responses are really the same three responses that people have had throughout history and also to this day. Some, like Herod, are hostile to Jesus and the whole idea of Jesus. Some, like the chief priests and the scribes, at least at this point, are indifferent. They're not too worried about him either way. 
But some, like the Magi, worship him. Now as I've told you before, the events described in this passage probably occurred at least several months after Jesus was born. If you notice in verse 1 it says now after Jesus was born. It could have even been up to two years after he was born. So all those scenes with the Magi in attendance in the stable, or probably not a stable, could have been a cave or wherever it was with the manger, not quite correct. They didn't actually visit Jesus until much later. We notice here in verse 11 it says that Matthew tells us that they visited Jesus in a house. Tells us quite specifically there, in a house, uh, the Greek word is a house, not a stable. It's also interesting that Joseph isn't mentioned either. Um, it just says that they saw Mary with the child. But I think a very interesting point on this subject that we read about in Luke chapter 2 verse 24 is that uh, Mary and Joseph offer a pair of doves or, or two young pigeons after eight days when uh, uh, Jesus was uh, circumcised. Um, that was a, an alternative really to the usual lamb and it was specifically put in place in Leviticus chapter 12 verse 6 to 8 so that poorer families could still make a sacrifice if they couldn't afford the usual lamb. Now that must have happened before the Magi arrived because if Mary and Joseph have had the gold, the, the frankincense and the myrrh at the time of the sacrifice they would certainly have been able to afford at least the lamb. These were very godly people and they would have had uh, money towards the sacrifice as an absolute priority. They certainly would have used the gold later to finance the flight to Egypt. So the Magi didn't actually visit the manger and it could have been up to two years later. By the way that's why Herod had all the babies two years and under killed because he'd inquired of the time the star appeared and he thought right just to make sure I catch this child I'll kill all the babies from two years or under. Now Matthew tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem same place that Jacob had buried his wife if you, you know your Old Testament Genesis chapter 35 same place that uh, Ruth met Boaz we read in Ruth and the same place that David had grown up and tended his sheep 1 Samuel 17 it was a great city of David and very specifically it was the city that Micah chapter 5 verse 2 had prophesied many many years before Jesus was born that that's exactly where the Messiah would be born just one of many many detailed prophecies that we see in the Old Testament written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born that Jesus fulfilled the where he was born how he lived the things that happened to him the crucifixion all predicted in the Old Testament. Now the Herod here, obviously Herod the Great, this particular Herod had been declared as the King of the Jews, officially. That was by Mark Antony and Octavian, along with the agreement of the Roman Senate. So that was his title. He was officially, according to the Romans, the, the King of the Jews despite the fact that he wasn't actually Jewish, he was from Edom. But he was a very clever man, and he'd married a very well-known and respected Jewish heiress, and I think it was about his fifth wife, but nevertheless he married a Jewish heiress called Mariamne. Helped him to be a little bit more respectable to the Jewish people. Although most of them really hated him, because he was pretty evil. I mean, anyone who would kill babies obviously is a very wicked and evil man. He did do some good for the people. He gave back some of the taxes to the people during severe economic hardships and he had theatres and racetracks built and other structures for the entertainment. And it's also the same Herod who 
began the reconstruction of the temple of Jerusalem in 19 BC. So he did a bit for the people, although to be honest that was more to appease the masses to make his own life a little bit easier. The bottom line was this was a very cruel, very jealous, a man full of hatred. He had Aristobulus, the high priest's wife's brother, drowned because he thought that he was a potential threat. And then he put on this magnificent funeral and he pretended to cry at the funeral and made a big show of it. Same Herod, he had his own wife killed, Mariamne, the one that he married to sort of smooth things over with the Jews. Then he had her mother killed. Then he had two of his own sons killed. And just five days before he died himself, he had a third son killed. So this was a, a nasty man. This was a man who was just terrible on so many levels. He also had, I think I mentioned before, the most distinguished citizens of Jerusalem arrested just before his death. He, he sort of knew he was about to die. So he had all of these distinguished citizens of Jerusalem arrested. And he gave orders that when he died, they were all to be killed as well. Because he knew full well that nobody was going to cry over his death. So he wanted some weeping in Jerusalem at his death. This cruel and evil so-called king of the Jews had heard that another king of the Jews had been born. So you can imagine, he'd do anything, absolutely anything, to have this new king killed. So that's the first response, and hostility. This evil hostility. And you can see why he was hostile, because he was also sitting on a very political and religious time bomb, as well as the fact that the people hated him generally. The very mention of a new king could be disastrous for this man Herod. And to make matters worse, now he'd heard of some visitors from another country who were coming to proclaim this new king. Then they wanted to worship him. So Herod was very, very troubled when he heard that this new king of the Jews had been born. And we see that all Jerusalem was troubled too. Not because they wanted to keep him as king, but because they were probably afraid of the potential conflict ahead and how it might affect them. Now these magi that Herod now encountered, we don't really know much about them. They were probably Parthians. The Parthians had been driven out of Israel some years earlier. But you can imagine Herod thinking, why were these Parthians, or whoever they were, why were they coming now to proclaim this new king as their own? Could there be a war on the horizon? So Herod, he's very hostile about the whole situation, and he does his utmost to find out exactly where Jesus is. And notice how sneaky he is. He says to the Magi, oh, you know, when you find out where he is, tell me, because I want to worship him as well, verse 8. What a snake. He didn't want to worship him at all. He had no intention of worshipping Jesus. He simply wanted him dead. He simply wanted him out the way. So we have this first response of hostility. And it's still one of the responses that we have to this day. The second response we see here is indifference. And we see that with the chief priests and the scribes. A few groups were indifferent to Jesus. They weren't that worried either way. Chief priests and the Jewish priests, descendants of Aaron, the high priest, uh, they had considerable uh, political and, and religious power. Um, it was the head of these high priests that was entered, uh, able to enter the Holy of Holies uh, once a year within the temple. Uh, I've told you before that he'd have to go in and have a rope tied around his leg 
uh, so that if he fainted or, or died within there um, they could pull him out because nobody but nobody was allowed to go in there apart from him and only on one day of the year now by the time of Jesus the, the office of high priest it was pretty much subject to political favouritism um, you could even purchase it if you had enough money the whole thing was corrupt the whole system was corrupt and most of these high priests were Sadducees whereas the normal priests were mostly Pharisees and remember the Sadducees they're the ones who didn't believe in angels they didn't believe in the resurrection they didn't believe really much in anything apart from the first five books of the Old Testament the second group to respond with indifference was the scribes now the scribes as I've told you before were mostly Pharisees authorities on the Jewish law they had a bit more prestige amongst the people than the Sadducees had and they had a more literal view of the Bible they, they did believe in angels they did believe in resurrection although some scribes were Sadducees um, and did have a very liberal view so Herod he called these religious leaders together to inquire of them where this Messiah this new king was to be born and these political uh, these religious uh, leaders they didn't show any um, real interest in this announcement they simply gave Herod what was common knowledge everybody knew because it says in the Old Testament when the Messiah does come and they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah but when he does come one thing that we know he's going to be born in Bethlehem so they said that's common knowledge everyone knows that he's going to be born in Bethlehem so if this was the Messiah that's where he would be born they didn't state that they believed and they certainly didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah when he later grew to be a man their indifference at that point very quickly turned to hostility but at this point they just weren't that interested they were indifferent a very popular response that we see today so we have two responses so far hostility was displayed by Herod and indifference is displayed by the religious leaders eventually the second group would join the first and they would both be very hostile to Jesus because indifference quite often is concealed hatred and delayed rejection the fact is you either accept or you reject Jesus Christ there's no halfway house it's one or the other but back to Herod after calling for the religious leaders and not getting very far he secretly called the Magi and it's here with the Magi that we see the third and the true response that all people should have to Jesus and that is worship unlike the religious leaders of Jesus day the Magi respond to Jesus with worship now as I've already mentioned there's just a few facts that we know about these Magi we know that they were from the east we know that they were called Magi sometimes translated wise men and we know that they were quite wealthy but apart from that there's not a lot more that we know as fact we don't for example know how many there were and we don't know their names we don't know how they traveled or even the specific countries from where they came there are many misconceptions about them there are many misconceptions about Christmas actually um, the angels didn't sing it there as the carols tell us Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December and the manger was possibly in a cave rather than a stable so who were the Magi where did they come from and why did they come as I say forget the idea that there were three of them and that there were kings um, 
If there were only three of them, I, I always think that Herod probably wouldn't have even noticed them anywhere. But he certainly noticed them because there were a lot more than three. And just because they brought three gifts doesn't necessarily mean that there were three of them. Also, they were probably not called Caspar, Melchior and Balthazar as tradition states. We don't know their names. And as I say, there were probably not three anyway. But the term Magi, which is basically untranslatable, probably relates to an Old Testament priestly tribe that goes back to as far back as Abraham's time. So these are very ancient people. This is an old and ancient people. And they ended up in the Middle East, Persia, Iraq, Iran area. They prospered, they grew in influence, and they became known as Magi, which as I say, it's, it's not translatable today. But they were a, a very religious, a very priestly tribe of people. They did become synonymous with magic and astrology, but that was some time after. So at the time they were not magicians, they were not astrologers. That's something that was associated with them in later times. But if you jump forward now from Abraham's time to Daniel's time, we see them again. Because in Daniel's time, the people of Israel were taken captive to Babylon. And the Bible tells us that during this captivity, the people of Israel came into contact with these Magi. In Babylon at the time the Magi were very influential. In fact Daniel were told and his royals in the palace were taught by these Magi. And we see in Daniel chapter 5 verse 11 that Daniel even became chief of the Magi. The word Magi is actually used there. Sometimes it is translated magicians or, or astrologers but Daniel chapter 5.11 says that he became the chief of these Magi. Now, the Jewish people eventually left Babylon, as you know, but Daniel actually stayed. And staying in Babylon, he obviously had great influence. And he would have taught the Magi about the Old Testament and the coming Messiah, the coming King. And in time, the Magi grew. They had many influences from Judaism, obviously, because of Daniel. We read about them again in the court of Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah chapter 39. So these Magi in the Old Testament, they knew about the coming Messiah. They knew about the coming King who would one day rule the world. Daniel had told them about it. They became the state religion of Persia. They became very powerful in the Middle East. They ruled the courts. They ruled the law systems. And most importantly... They appointed the kings. Nobody could rule as king without the approval of these magi. They were the kingmakers. As far as spirituality were concerned, they were theistic like the Jews. They believed in angels and they believed in blood sacrifice and they believed in a saviour. Therefore you can imagine when Daniel did tell them about this coming Messiah, this coming king, they would have been very interested and they would have merged this new teaching into their own teaching. Jump forward now to the time of Jesus. And the area of the Middle East was pretty much ruled by these Magi. They were the sworn enemies of Rome. At the time of Jesus, Rome was a great power in the West. And Persia, Iran, Iraq area, ruled by the Magi, was the great power in the East. So you've got Israel, if you know your geography, if you look on a map... Israel is right in the middle. So you've got the Rome on the one side, you've got Persia Iran on the other side, and Israel is right there in the middle. And Rome and Persia Iran Iraq had recently gone to war on three occasions, 63 BC, 55 BC, 
and 40 BC and each time that happened Israel was right in the middle a sort of a no man's land between two great nations so you can imagine what Herod is thinking because he knows all of this and at the time the Magi didn't have a king because Phraates their king had recently been deposed so they're looking for a new king they must have remembered the prophecies of Daniel which give actually the date of the arrival of the Messiah to the year that Jesus was born so they head for Jerusalem and they're looking for the king of the Jews now these hugely influential kingmakers they wouldn't have just come with a few men they would have come in great force there could have even been up, well certainly hundreds of them but could have been thousands they would have had servants and slaves and cooks and others so you can imagine people would have seen them coming they would have known that they were on the way and Herod's title as I've already told you was king of the Jews so when he knew about these magi coming he was terrified remember they had been the great enemy of Rome Herod wasn't Roman but he was appointed king by Rome and also take note at this point in history Rome was very vulnerable Caesar Augustus was very old and the commander-in-chief of the army Tiberius had recently retired that meant that Herod had very little protection from Rome because Rome was a lot more concerned about their own problems at this point in history so Herod must have been thinking there could be another attack on Rome three as I say had recently taken place so the Magi from the east who appointed kings who came in great force that could be a serious problem particularly for Herod and Herod obviously thought for the Romans although I'm sure he was thinking more of himself not only could Herod lose his throne but he could be in the middle of another great war between east and west so these magi came probably following Daniel's prophecy as their timing the following a star probably not a star actually but the, I think is uh, probably the Shekinah glory of God that we read about in passages such as Exodus 13 it moved about like the Shekinah glory of God and it settled over a house as I say a house Matthew 2 verse 11 not a stable and a scene was set for the coming of the new king these wise men although they have been associated with astrology later they do seem to be at least God fearing Gentiles whatever the past they now come to seek the king and their one purpose is to worship this king of the Jews their response was one of worship we're not told what if anything they said to Herod when they first met with him but they go on to find Jesus he's in the house and they fall down and worship him they must have been thinking of the prophecies of Daniel why would they fall down and worship a baby in an obscure house in a small village in a different land they must have been thinking this is the child that is prophesied by Daniel and in the Old Testament and they fall down and they present three gifts gold frankincense and myrrh first of all gold precious metal universal symbol of wealth also the metal that was used in the construction of the temple we read that in 1 Kings chapter 6 and 7 gold was a symbol of nobility symbol of royalty and the wise men appropriately give Jesus a, the king a royal gift of gold the saviour of the world is also the king and whether the wise men knew it or not gold symbolised kingship they probably knew that 
Today we must acknowledge his rule as well as accept him as saviour, that is accepting him as lord and king. Thinking of rulers, I have told you before the true story uh, concerning Admiral Nelson, who was known for treating uh, vanquished foes with courtesy and kindness. And after one naval victory, a defeated officer strode confidently across the deck of Nelson's ship and he offered the Admiral his hand in friendship. And without lifting his own hand, Nelson said, Your sword, sir, then your hand. The same is true with Jesus. Before we can accept him as saviour, before we can accept him as friend as he accepts us, we must first accept his authority. We must first accept his kingship. And of course we must mean it. There's another story I have told you before um, concerning that, uh, about the funny encounter between uh, Prince Philip and Lord Mountbatten. I heard about it when I was in the Royal Navy. Prince Philip, obviously, Admiral of the Fleet, husband to the Queen, and Lord Mountbatten was also Admiral of the Fleet. So one day somebody asked them both, when you pass each other, who salutes who? Because in the Royal Navy you always salute the higher officer, and then he takes the salute. But they were the same rank. So Philip immediately said, well, we salute each other. And Mountbatten said, yes, but he means it. You see, Philip, obviously Admiral of the Fleet because he's married to the Queen, but Mountbatten would have argued, well, I'm Admiral of the Fleet because I earned it. In the same way, Jesus demands our subjection because of both reasons. Because he is God's son. And because he earned it by dying for us. Before we can be Christ's brothers and sisters, we must first acknowledge him as Lord. That's what the wise men did. But the second gift they brought was frankincense. Now, frankincense is very costly, beautiful smelling incense used for special occasions. Oregon, uh, the early church fathers, suggested it was an incense of deity. And in the Old Testament we do see that it was stored in a special chamber at the very front of the temple and it was sprinkled on certain offerings as a symbol of the people's desire to please God. So the same incense was offered to Jesus, symbolising the second step in worship, acknowledging that he is not just king, but also God. Only God receives the offering of frankincense in the Old Testament. So far then we see the gift symbolising that Jesus is to be obeyed as Lord and it is also God in the flesh. Which brings us to the third gift, myrrh. Now myrrh was a, a perfume like frankincense and often used um, mixed with wine as an anaesthetic. We see that in Mark 15 verse 23 where it's offered to Jesus. But most of the time myrrh was used in preparation of bodies for burial. And that also included Jesus, John 19 verse 39 for example. Therefore the gift of myrrh symbolises Jesus' humanity and death, giving us the third aspect of true worship. Although Jesus is God in the flesh, he suffered, he died, and he rose again. And because of this he offers us eternal life and he's conquered death. So we get these three gifts brought to Jesus by the wise men offering true worship. Lord and King symbolised by the gold. God in the flesh symbolised by the frankincense. And Saviour who would suffer and die but rise again symbolised the myrrh. This is the true response to Jesus. Not a response of hostility like Herod. Not a response of indifference like the religious leaders. But like the Magi... The true response of worship, shown in our acceptance of Jesus as Lord and King and God, 
and our saviour. Now we don't know what happened to the three gifts after the wise men left but as I say it seems reasonable to assume that Mary and Joseph used them to finance the trip to Egypt. Um, the gifts would make it possible for Joseph to support his family during the time in exile when they fled to Egypt. If you've ever wondered how such a poor family could move to and live in a foreign land, well the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh, that would answer the question. They didn't have any forward planning, they didn't have any finance, but they did have the gold, frankincense and myrrh. The Magi were warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod, we don't hear of them again. But it's not unreasonable to assume that they went home with the news of the Messiah and they told others and the message of Jesus spread to the east. Today though the most common response to Jesus sadly is indifference. People think that they celebrate Christmas but a lot of people are not celebrating Christmas at all. They don't understand the full meaning of Christmas as symbolised by the three gifts. They don't understand that there is a shadow of the cross over the manger. Without the cross there is no Christmas. And that's what we celebrate as well this morning as we take communion. As I've said before many times, Christmas and Easter, it's all the same thing. You can't have Christmas without Easter. You can't have Easter without Christmas. Yes, Jesus had to be born as a baby, but he came to grow to be a man. He came to die. He came to go to a cross. But fortunately for us, on the third day he rose again. We're going to celebrate that in a moment. But before we do so, let's come to God again in prayer. Father, we thank you for the true meaning of Christmas. We thank you for the example of the Magi who offered those gifts and who came with the true response that all people should have to Jesus and that is to fall down before him and worship him. There is no other real response. And the only reason that we can truly do that is if we accept him for who he really is. As Lord, as God in the flesh, as Saviour, as King, as our Lord and our God. We thank you, Father, that we know this, not because we're wise, not because we're moral, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, because you have revealed it to us. We are eternally thankful, and we will be literally eternally thankful for the message that we have in our hearts this Christmas, because we know what Christmas is about. Thank you, Father. Amen.